Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome, my friends, to Blog Talk Radio's Off the Shelf. And over there, those of you who are at Blake Radio on the Rainbow Soul Channel, where we also air, good morning to you as well. When I got up this morning, I opened up my blinds. It was snowing. And I know they told us it was going to be windy here today in Philadelphia, but I don't, I don't think they said it was going to snow, but it, 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 it didn't lay. But I was surprised. So it's the end of February, and uh, earlier just out enjoying the weather and taking walks earlier in the week. But today's supposed to be a windy, windy day. But good good morning to all of everybody for this last Saturday in February. Can you believe we are going into March already? Spring is coming, and I'm so excited about it. I love spring and summer. For those of you who are, who are our loyal, loyal listeners, and there's so many of you, I thank you for tuning in every Saturday at 11 o'clock in the morning, Eastern Standard Time or New York City Time, and, and tuning in to Off the Shelf. It's just always a joy having you here with us. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, I want to introduce myself. I'm your host, Denise Turney, and as I always say, I'm coming to you live from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and thank you for your support. And I encourage you not to let another day pass before you pick up a copy of Long Walk Up. It is a powerfully moving, inspirational book that tells the story of a little girl at six years old who's orphaned when her mother passes from malaria and what guides her, what keeps her going, what what causes her to move away from the community she's known, the only people she's known all her life at six years old on this hard, arduous journey, but oh my goodness, the payoff, the payoff for her, not quitting. She goes into a marvelous destiny that causes her to make history. After Long Walk Up was published, I was looking through the newspaper, and this event actually happened in Africa, which is a historical event. So I encourage you to get a copy of Long Walk Up. It's an ebook for only four ninety nine at ebookit dot com or any ebook retailer. And you can also get it in print at any bookstore. You can get it any bookstore online or offline. If you don't see it on the shelf, just ask the clerk for it. Or you can get it at my website, which is www.chistel.com, C-H-I-S-T-E-L-L.com. And please keep your eyes out for my new book, Love Pour Over Me. I'll let you know as soon as it's published, you're going to love Love pour over me. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. Our special guest today is Ronald White. Ronald attended Florida State University. He is a former actor and screenplay writer. He is also the author of the book Centurion Justice, and he would just love it. If you would visit him online, you can actually go there right now while we do the interview, read excerpts from his books, check out his bio, and learn more about him, and maybe even purchase a copy of Centurion Justice. And he is online at HTTP, and you don't put the www in there, and it's centurionjustice.net, and it's spelled C-E-N-T-U-R-I-O-N, Justice, J-U-S-T-I-C-E. Again, it's C-E-N. T-U-R-I-O-N-J-U-S-T-I-C-E dot net. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Ronald. Oh, thank you, Denise, for having me. Hey, I, I hope you don't make all the brothers that talk with you this nervous, girl, because I'm telling you, right now my hands sweating just listening to your voice. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And he's a comedian. <laughs> oh, no, he's I'm also, just real. I'm just real. He's, right? a, he's also a comedian. Why why do you think books? Why do you think books, you know, stories do so much. They they motivate us, they inspire us. There's a reason why people read, and I mean hundreds of thousands if not millions and millions of books every single year. People yeah. don't keep doing something at that much volume unless they're getting a, an incredible reward out of it. Why do you think books should take readers where they have never been? Or may never go. Well, Denise, I'm going to tell you, I really believe that it's not just the words. I believe that in those words you'll find the you'll find the spirit of the of the writer. You'll find the vision of the writer, and um, you know those are the things that really you know get a hold of you once you start reading the words. And and uh, like I feel many times, even just hanging out in bookstores and that sort of thing. I feel that the spirit and the 
the, the vision and the, and the wisdom of the words, you know, has an impact on you. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that that, uh, that it, words go pretty deep, you know, and, and books is where you find words and, and uh, words take you there. Yeah, and, you know, you wouldn't think that something language, how much it shapes, it, it is incredibly powerful, maybe even more than the physical actions that we take. It can start a war. It can it can cause a war to cease. It can cause people to be friends. It can break up friends. Just words <laughs> can create images, emotions in people. So it is, it is the books are incredibly powerful because words are. Did you major in literature when you were at Florida State University? And if you didn't, what what did you major in, and why did you choose that major? Well, I, I did not uh, major in literature. I actually went to uh, college initially to. Um, study um, engineering. Uh, oh. Yeah, it was one of those things where, you know, I just kind of picked a major, you know, because it sounded like the cool black thing to do, you know, to be a doctor or an engineer or whatever. But uh, when I got there, um, I realized real quick that uh, I wasn't the engineering type. That the, all, the, <laughs> all the time I spent staring out the window. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> You know, I'm kind of a sports guy as well, and so I um, I, I fell in love with uh, something of a tennis career. Uh, oh. Were you a tennis player? Did you play tennis? I did play tennis in college and, and, and spent uh, a few years after college kind of knocking around uh, on the uh, satellite tour and stuff like that. So I, um, I was a sports guy that went to school thinking I was going to be an engineer or something of that nature. It didn't take for me uh, but so many afternoons sitting in a drafting class at 3 o'clock in the afternoon uh, trying to draw out a screw to realize I was going to find another major. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's, it's smart that you, I guess, realize that and you say, you know what, let me me take a, let me shift, make a turn, this isn't for me. When it, so we know what you did in college. You know, you you tried engineering and then you went on into tennis. Was there an event? Now back to your writing. Was there an event in your life, something that happened or something that somebody said to you or you overheard that made you realize you were a writer? And if so, could you please share that event with our listeners here at Off the Shelf? Well, I, I think I can tell you that there was an event. I um. It happened really just in one of my classes. It was a humanities class um, that uh, the, the teacher came in, and we were in a period where they were introducing us to the um, uh, the arts, and, and um, there was some Beethoven and Chopin, and and, um, and I started listening to um, music that I really had not listened that much to in the past, and then from there, uh, that led me to um, some of the uh, community—not community theater, but the um, the local theater at the college. That um, I got a chance to see some of the the the, uh, the uh, plays and the, and the and the art performances that had come through, and uh, I felt that it it just touched me real deep. You know that there was something that that was there for me. I had a real passion for it uh, early on, and uh, and that led me to start to express myself in a different way, and then and writing was a part of that. So, yeah, I would say so. Wow, it's, it, it, I'm thinking about what Bill Gates said about how the dots connect, and you can see how he goes from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing, and then you finally know, and you can feel it in yourself when you've landed at the right place for. You. For you, do you consider yourself? There's so many different forms of writing. I mean, there's playwriting. There's, there's you can write for television. There's poetry. There's short stories. There's novels. There's nonfiction writing. You can write for college students and so on and so forth. Do you, when it comes to writing, because you've done screenplays and novels, but which would you say you consider yourself to be more, a screenplay writer or a novelist? And and, and why do you think this? Well, at, at this point, I know that I'm more of a novelist. The uh, the idea of the screenplays that was more me, um, you know, just trying to find some some way to maybe be a part of the industry in writing. Uh, I didn't know that much about it at the time, but 
as I got more involved with it, the, the structure of it and, and, and some of the detail that's not a part of the actual words, the, the actual story, you know, what more than um, I wanted to, to commit myself to, especially after you after I'd done it a while and, and you start receiving those rejection notices from people that never even opened up your, your project, you know, the uh, the letters that you get back. Mm-hmm from the uh the studios that that, uh, that that you get this big envelope that has your envelope in it and it <laughs> that uh you know we want to let you know that we do not uh accept any unsolicited material and we yes. do not look at your work. You know, so uh I mean what are you talking about you didn't look at my work. I just spent a year and a half putting this thing together. At least you could look at it. So Yeah, uh, you know what? I, and the reason the reason that that happens is they don't want to get sued. And yeah. and what happens is if they read your work and then a movie comes out that's even slightly similar, right. <laughs> people will sue. And so it's not really the companies that have driven that. It's people who sue. Yeah. And so they're like, you know, I don't want to get sued. I don't want to get sued where somebody says I gave my manuscript. This happened to Tyler Perry. I gave my manuscript to Oprah or something. And because you know Oprah, she gave it to you, and then you copied my material in your, in your, in your movie. People don't want to go down that road, so they just don't even open the package. Here, you can have it back. A lot of people would never sue, but there are those who, they, they, they see dollar signs, and they'll sue and say, that's my movie, that's my movie. You know, as if you as if ideals are only in one person's head. Just because you have an ideal about something doesn't mean you're the only one who has that ideal. There are other people who can also, an ideal is not something I don't think one person owns. Uh, uh, but but in talking about your plays, could you tell our listeners about the two plays you wrote, when you wrote the plays, and if you could just give us a brief synopsis or an overview of those two plays? Well, um, I, I wrote the the, the plays uh, that I've uh, you know pretty much had notoriety for. Uh, these were in line with the Centurion Justice character. I, I write from a point of uh, of where I come from. The um, Kind of rural black America that's that 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 kind of blends into uh, some some of the city life. I grew up with a lot of animated characters, you know, from my community. That um, was a black community with, you know, that that had its share of juke joints and school teachers and church people and and everything. And I, and I um, the the particular play, the, the first thing that I did of note was a play that I called. Uh, Titled Ghetto Booty, and um, now this had to do with uh, a, a character who was a uh, very straight-laced brother who just happened to be in the engineering field, mm-hmm. <laughs> who uh, had this ambition of uh, of being a, a gangster rapper, and uh, okay. you know, and it, this was a story that kind of led him on this journey to, to uh, you know to, to discovering that. And uh, and then another play that was kind of a I don't know you might even say it was a sequel to that or what have you, but um, but where I come from with the writing is I try to write from so from the experiences that I've had with so many of the uh, of the the black people that I've encountered I mean blacks and whites but but yet I find the depth of uh, of uh, creativity and understanding and spirit in black people. You know, it gives you so much to reach for. You know, you know, black people have ex- experienced so much, and in black communities, you know, in the older black communities where you had such a co-mingling of, uh, of of people before everybody got separated, and you know, doctors moved out, and lawyers moved out, and teachers moved out. You had you had everybody there, and you had so much to draw from as far as characters. You might have the you know, the guy who might be talked about as the wine or whatever on the corner, but he was there every day, and you might talk to him, and then you might talk to the lawyer that lived down the street. So, you know, I, I, I write from the, the vast experiences of, of good and bad, from from joy and tragedy, uh, from, uh, you know, explicit language and uh, and drama that you experience in black communities. So that, that's really where I come from with the writing. How did you have to shift from your your playwright to writing the novel, how did you have to adjust or shift your writing when you actually sat down and started writing the novel Centurion Justice? Well, 
the, one of the things is that um, I had to really decide that uh, I was going to be committed to the writing on a regular basis. That was the first thing. I had to become more disciplined, you know, on a daily basis, an hour to two hours of sitting down writing, making sure I stayed in tune with the story. Um, mm-hmm. That, um, you know, if I was going to really put something together that a, that a, a reader would find intriguing, interesting, um, thrilling, dramatic, that I, I needed to be in tune with that story on a daily basis. And so that would be one of the things that really hit me right on. You know, you, you can write a screenplay. You can, you can be writing a, a scene or this and that, and then you could come back to it a week later, whatever, read what you read before, and then put something else down. I didn't find that I could do that with the uh, with the novel. I, I found that I had to stay in tune with it, and I had to stay locked into that story. It didn't matter if I was already in 15 chapters into it. I had to know every word of it, you know, that would lead up to the next chapter. So uh, That's interesting. I find it interesting that, that you said that. I would think that's, for some reason, that's interesting to me. I would think that even writing a screenplay, you would have to do it, it be as consistent with it. Wow, because with a screenplay, you've got to give people, I think, a stronger... Your characters have got to be absolutely strong. And then the visual appeal has got to be very strong. And, you know, same in a novel, but that's interesting to me. So with a screenplay, it was easier for you to maybe leave it for a couple of days and come back, and you could pick right up where you had stopped. And then with a novel, for you, you didn't find that that was the case I did not. I, I found that, uh, that the detail, you know, needed to needed to be there, and it needed to be tight. You know, with the uh, you know with stage actors and and people in of, of that uh, of that craft, you know, they can create. You know, and and they can create even where you leave uh, gaps, and but yet the you know, the character himself, they can, if you got a strong character, you know, in a, in a movie or on stage, they can carry a story and, and improvise things that uh, that that, know, that the, the audience knows that is still part of the story. I think if you leave out certain things in, in writing or in books or if you, if you drag things out of way that, 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 the, uh, that the reader loses touch with the story, I think that you could lose the whole story, so. Uh, okay. Good point. Good point. The actor and the actress, yeah, and the stage, the the, the uh, props on the stage. There's, you got so many other things, right. uh, physical things to help the story move along on stage that you don't have in a book. That makes absolute perfect sense. Is Centurion Justice? Is that a book? I was wondering as I was doing the research for the interview. Is that a science fiction book? It is not. This is a uh, this is a uh, this is an urban crime thriller uh, that involves a young. Uh, a former young uh, vice detective uh, here in the uh, Jacksonville area. The, the, the story is written throughout the uh, scenic areas of northeast Florida, and uh, it's an erotic crime thriller. Yeah. What time period is it set in? This is an up-to-date story here. I, I, I deal right up to uh, right up to current day activities. Uh, it's, it's, it's fiction, but yet it's, there's a certain amount of truth in all fiction and. And it's a very current story. And and also, can you tell our readers without giving the whole story away, but just giving them enough so they can get more of a feel for Centurion Justice? What's going on in Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Florida, at the start of Centurion Justice? What's what's going on in the city at the opening of the book? Okay, what what, what you got going on here? You got this. Uh, you, you got this really smooth brother here who happens to be on the police force. He's an up and comer. Um, but he's all of the uh, he's all of the characters that I grew up with the uh, in 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 art and in reality. He, he he's the he's the Mac. He's Superfly. He's the Hitman. He's all of these things kind of rolled up in one. And um, and then but but he's a, a modern day guy that allows himself to get caught up in some very illicit um, behavior. That causes him to be kicked off the force, uh, but uh, but because of his involvement in so many other things throughout the city, he's still basically uh, a cop down inside. And when he has some things to uh, 
come back on him uh, in the sense of uh, retaliation or revenge or just reaping some of the things that he's sown, he still finds himself involved in uh, in uh, solving some crimes and, and, and dealing with some bad guys. So, How long has he been on the force, and at what level is he has he reached at the at the start of this story? Right. He's been on the force uh, approximately seven years, and that's kind of uh, some of the background that's given in the beginning of the story. Uh, you get to know where he came from as far as his, his college background, his community background, some of the uh, crime solving he had done in the past, the reputation around the city that he had had built with the uh, in, in the in the regular community and the upscale communities, you know, he was thought of very highly by uh, many of the top officials, uh, the mayor, and so on and so forth around town. And uh, when this particular incident came up that uh, caused him to be kicked off the force, you know, it's a real blow to him uh, as well as uh, a lot of the people that supported him. Okay. And and why did you set the story in Jacksonville? You might have already said this. Is is that where were you born and raised in Jacksonville? Why did you choose I ha- and and I say that in part because I haven't seen that many stories. A lot of people put stories in Chicago and New York and big big cities. Not that Jacksonville is small. I know it's not a small city, but it's not I don't think like an Atlanta a major city that a lot of people think of or Miami. Why did you why did you set the story in Jacksonville, and, and is that where you're from? And did, did you, as a writer, because my new story said in Philadelphia, did you, as a writer, change some of the factual locations or whatnot? So if the name of a business, maybe you changed it. Or did you keep it pretty much the the places the, the exactly as they are now when you wrote the story? Well, I, I did grow up in this area. I, I, I grew up in... Uh, what you might call a suburb of Jacksonville, a little place called Orange Park. Now, okay. I will this. Now, when you say that uh, Jacksonville is not, uh, you know, Chicago or New York or so forth, but there, if you go back in history, there was a time when Jacksonville was called the uh, New York of the South. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, when I, was this? If uh, you give us a little history, I didn't know that. When was this? This, this was back, uh, you go back to the uh, late 40s, the 50s. Oh, okay, okay. Exactly, exactly. So, look, Jacksonville does have it going on now. You know, for your listeners that don't know, you know, Jacksonville might just be the spot. But, okay. Uh, but but as far as uh, why I wrote that, now, it wasn't just that I grew up in this area, but, um, you know, I, I find this area to be very intriguing. You know, it does have a nice um, city life. You know, you got your your, your rural, you got your city, you got your, you know, you got your hood life. You got, you got the, uh, you know, you got a lot of parts of this city that really do pop. So um, there's there's a lot here. You know, I've been to New York and Chicago. I've, I've been to Philly. I've been to those places. But you know, all in all, you know. Uh, I'll take Jacksonville. Not to put Philly down now, but I will take. No, Jacksonville. I know home is home. That's home right. is home. <laughs> and so, a lot of the uh, areas that I mention in the book, they are the um, exact streets and businesses, oh, okay. things of that nature. I wanted, I wanted my uh, my 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 homeboys and my homegirls to uh, be able to read this story and feel like, you know, this was right in their backyard. So. Oh, okay. Okay, so somebody not familiar with Jacksonville could read your book and get a good feel for the city. A That's good, okay, okay. And who, who? I know you, you told us a little bit about the main character, Centurion Justin, for off the shelf listeners. His name is Jesus, and I, I wanted to know why you named him Jesus. And can you give us a little background on his childhood? Did where did his did he grow up in a, a family where his mother and father both were in the home? What was his childhood like? How did he become the man he is at the start of Centurion Justice? Okay. Well, um, actually, uh, the, uh, the the Jesus part of it, his, his name is not Jesus, but that it is listed as CJ, uh, Centurion Justice, is actually this character's name. Now, there is a uh, a point in this book where he's referred to as Jesus' hitman. Uh, 
as far as his background and his growing up, he he actually grew up in the Orange Park area. Uh, he uh, was a local uh, ball player, uh, primarily football. Um, he in the book I do talk about the community and the friends that he grew up with. Part of this book is about one of the uh, tragedies that is. That, that he encounters that deals with one of his childhood friends. That's part of the story. Mm-hmm. And it talks about him, you know, coming up in this area, moving on from a lot of the um, the, the triumphs and the mischiefs that, that uh, young people um, and, uh, and find themselves in to go on to the University of Central Florida where he played football for the University of Central Florida. And then from there, he went on to a law enforcement uh, career. Okay, okay. And would you describe him as a as a, as a youth? Then I want to also ask you, as an adult, when I was researching something that came up to me about him that I wanted to ask you about, as a youth, would you describe him as a troubled youth or a youth who was really tracking tracking well toward becoming a, a, a responsible, uh, accountable, positive adult? Right. He, no, he was not a troubled youth. He he grew up with his mother and the father in the home. Uh, he was he was really on a positive track, even though uh, the the story does outline many of the uh, individuals around him, some of his buddies and so forth, that uh, that that did have a lot of trouble uh, trouble in their life, and did get off track, uh, and they somewhat uh, kept him from that. You know, the, even even his friends realized that he seemed to be an individual who was meant for a little bit higher destiny. So they, they, they even assisted him in not falling into some of the traps that they had fallen. You know, I find it... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. And, and, and I was just going to say that eventually led him, you know, to his life as a detective. You know what I find interesting that when you said that I heard an interview years ago that Tupac Shakur made, and he said that when the, the, some of the people he was hanging out with, when he got started to want to do some of the legal things they were doing, they told him no. They said you got a future, you've got you've got promise. Why do you think? It, it, it kind of is a little sad when there's some people that I think it's good when folks say no, we're not going to let you deal. Dealing drugs with us or whatever you got, you have a future and whatever. And some other people they just encourage to come on, come on, join us, do what we're doing, do the illegal things we're doing. Do you think that we really, I mean, in the worst of situations, can see somebody who has promise or who has hope, and we literally won't, we literally steer them toward more and more progress? And then the sad part is we rope other people in. To tragedy, <laughs> ironic, extremely ironic. Yeah, when I hear these I, I, stories, I, when people say they're friends, they're like, "No, they told me no. We're not gonna let you do it. You have a future." And then they'll say to somebody else, "Come join us and go down the same dark trail we're going down." Yeah. Now, now a lot of this, a lot of this story, I write from many of my own personal experiences, and um, and this, this that is an experience that I've, I've had myself. Now. I believe it has to do with not just the individual, but uh, but how that individual is represented, you know, in a particular community. If you come from a certain type, certain family that's respected a certain way, if you have that mother or that father that that people revere in the community or in the county, you know, you know, it's it's known. These things are known, and so a lot of the uh, people that are even on the street, which they don't always feel that they should be there. But as as a, a buddy of mine told me once uh, after he had done a, a prison stint and I was trying to give him a real pep talk about how to change his life and to start over again and so on and so forth, he told me uh, in, in conversation, we were standing on the corner one day, and he said, look, uh, Ronnie, I want to tell you, you know, all of that sounds good, but I want, I want you to know something. You can get so far out here that the world won't let you come back. You know, which was a real profound statement for me, knowing that this was somebody who actually looked out for me and who, who had, had kind of guarded me in the past from 
going down a certain path. So, you know, you know, many times the brothers and sisters on the street, they're more aware of mm-hmm. uh, things than even the regular person you might meet in your everyday yep. life. Yeah, and they might be a very, even a really good judge, like we were just saying, of people. They can see somebody is tracking differently, and they, they don't want you to go down. And, and as much as you might look down on certain people, that they can see that and then actually encourage you to do the right thing. I mean, I, I think it's amazing. I remember when I was, me and my sister were younger, and we wanted to, to smoke a cigarette. And this we went to this girl, and she said, meet us such and such a place, and she would show us. And then she stopped and said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that with you guys. She said, "I'm not gonna. I'm not." And then, and and it happens. And and you think back in your own life when you were ready to do something that wouldn't be good for you, and somebody stopped you, and they were doing it themselves, right. and they, and they stopped you. And you know, and I'm grateful for those times. But I wanted to ask you also about CJ. How old is he? And this was my take on him. And so I just want you to confirm whether this is true or false. How old is CJ? And is he an egomaniac? He sounded like an egomaniac to me. It is okay. Well, he's uh, in, in the in the story here. He's uh, he's thirty years old. Uh, he's come out of college, and like I said, he's, he's had about a seven year career in law enforcement now, and he's he's reached detective. Um, is he an egomaniac? Uh, no, I, and I try not to really portray him that way. I don't go that far with it. But one thing I I do in the book is I make him a very, very confident brother. You know, that that was one thing that was just very important to me, you know, um, just looking back on my life and in, 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 as a part of this writing. the One of the things that I found was that if I could go back and I was going to change one trait, that would be the, the times in my life when I really second-guessed myself, you know. Mm. I didn't want. I wanted this brother to be the type of brother that he wasn't going to walk around and second guess himself in that way. You know, he was going to be prepared. He was going to be intelligent. He was going to be intellectual. You know, he was going to be smart. He was going to handle his business right, and so he didn't have to go around. Um, you know, uh, what, what do you say? Uh, you know, shuffling his feet. So. Ah, okay. Yeah, and confidence is is very important. You know, we make some decisions and they they turn out and we say, "Man, I'm glad I did that." And then we make some decisions and we say, "Man, I screwed that up." But you have to stay confident to continue to move forward. And that is that is so important. That is so important. That even if you mess up once, you say, "You know what? I have the confidence to know I can still get it right and to keep going." That that's a good quality. He just came across that way. To me, and his dialogue, the way he, the way he spoke, it just that's the way he came across to me. And some people who are maybe they call it extreme confidence, they can't come across like an egomaniac. Um, yeah. And he sounds like a tough guy who has an insatiable appetite for women. And okay. I wanted to see will, will readers get to see him transform from the, what he what he appears at the start of Centurion Justice, well, readers get to see him transform due to things that happen in his life because our life experiences cause us to perceive things differently or or uh, due, to, due, to, due to some people who come into his life, either different life experiences he's had. We know he's seen a lot because he's a cop, so he's seen a lot already. But does something happen, somebody come into his life, some experiences that he sees that cause him to change himself? Well, you, you you touch on a very important point there. Uh, this is a transformational book. If, if you read the entire book, this is what you gain from it. Uh, I, I make a point of being very explicit and direct in a lot of the language, uh, a lot of the physical encounters. I make a point of that. But now let, let me say this. Uh, when I in, in writing this book, there was no way I was going to be able to complete this book and leave God out of it. God was going to be a part of it. You have to read the book to really uh, encounter the transformation that He endures. But uh, mm-hmm. these things uh, having to do with uh, with women and and sex and things of that nature, you know, uh, this this is a this is a brother's life. 
you know, mm-hmm. as, as much of the talk and rhetoric that black men um, exchange, whether it be true or not. You mm-hmm. know, this is if, if 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 you're a brother that's been around the gyms or been around the basketball court, been around the corner, hung around the club, you know, I don't say nothing in this book that you don't just you haven't heard or don't hear on a on a somewhat regular basis. So I wanted to be real about this. This is not just me making up a story. Uh, it's not. It's not really like that. It's it's, a, it's fictional, but in in all fiction, there's there's some truth. And then I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think the, the, your readers will really appreciate the fact that not you know you said it in in Jacksonville. You kept the scenes, the locations in Jacksonville. It just as they are, and it's a modern day story, so people can follow along with it. And people from the city can definitely say, "Oh, I know where that place is." And then the characters you kept the dialogue, the the characters real. And then with a cop, I'm thinking this guy has got to be a bit hardened, just just to be a cop, to be able to see murders and rapes and domestic violence and child abuse, and to keep going at that. You gotta, I would imagine a person has to harden a little bit to keep stomaching. That type of stuff. I wanted to ask you, who who are some of the other major and minor characters in Centurion Justice, and what what is it about these people that helps to move the story forward? Well, you you have uh, you have some major villains that I actually list in the subtitle: the um, the albino, the African, the black dread. Uh, these are particular individuals that play uh, a villainous role in the story, and they're they're a part of the the over the, the overall plot that keeps him journeying through the story to 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 reach a certain conclusion or to solve the solve the mystery because overall this is a mystery. Uh, you have uh, his best friend. Uh, in the book that uh, that does meet with uh, somewhat tragic uh, circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, have, you have the women in his life, and as with uh, as with many of us, uh, you know, in our own personal lives, you know, we 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 have relationships that that have a good and a bad to them, and mm-hmm. and and. But in everything, there should be some measure of positive positiveness or motivation, and you'll find this in the women that that he encounters, and and you you find him transforming from this what you might feel is arrogant, uh, smug, tough brother, to a brother that uh, you know is totally enlightened and and transformed uh, at a certain point in the story. Okay, and I wanted to ask, as I was researching for the story and reading through the excerpts and checking out your website, which, again, for our off-the-shelf listeners, Ronald White's website is centurionjustice.net, and that's C-E-N-T-U-R-I-O-N-J-U-S-T-I-C-E.net. And for those who are just joining us, we're featuring uh, our featured guest today is Ronald White. He attended Florida Florida State University, and he's a former actor and screenplay writer, and he's the author of the book Centurion Justice, and again, his website is centurionjustice.net. I wanted to ask you, I kept wondering as I was uh, pulling together information for today's interview, does the title hold special meaning? And if so, can you tell us about the special meaning that the title has? I think the title of your book is unique. The the title does have several meanings for me. Beginning with the initial CJ, which was the core of me coming up with the name. Uh, CJ is the uh, nickname for my youngest brother's oldest son. When I when I started writing, uh, he had just been born, and at that time I was doing some screenplays, and I decided, you know, look, just as as something of a tribute and and uh, something of a a family. Monica, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the character in this book CJ, and mm. decided to do that with the next piece of work I did, the, the main character, and so that that kind of stuck with me, and so when this particular project came 
up. I, I had the same thing in mind, but now, okay, so who was it going to be, though, besides the nickname? And then thinking about the fact that, you know, I wanted this to be a particular type of brother because this was going to be a continuing series. I wanted to have, okay. I wanted to have some aspect of even, you know, a superhero quality, uh, but yet uh, I wanted it to be something of... Um, uh, I want it to be have some redeeming value to it. That's the centurion, you know, the uh, the overseer, the protector, the you know, the, the the gladiator, you know, but someone who was out for right. And so this is where the justice came from, and um, and that that's kind of the core of where where that is from, and you know, and wanting this to be, you know, with the following stories. Um, to be something of a superhero uh, individual. Now, I say that particularly because when when the follow-up books come out, you'll find that to be a, a true statement that I'm making, that this, this character does have some uh, superhero qualities about him. Okay. And it, 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 is that, going, that title going to be in each of the books, Centurion Justice, somewhere in each title? Right, right now, I, I plan for the, the series to be titled Centurion Justice. There will be a different, uh, you know, subtitle depending okay. on of each book. But, uh, right, it'll be, the, it'll be Centurion Justice. Yeah, and that'll keep people, it, they'll know, they'll recognize right away that it's a book in a series. Who's been buying Centurion Justice? Uh, if you can tell, I mean, it's in a bookstore, you won't be able to, but if, if, you, if you are able to see... Who's who, in any of your locations where the book is purchased? A back, you know, like somebody's name or whatever who bought the book. Would you say mostly men or women are buying the book? Well, I can tell you definitely. Uh, when I'm at book shows, when I'm at expos, when I'm just out and about, when the book is is passed on from one person to another, the the, the sisters the sisters buy my book. The sisters, oh, okay. Sisters and you know, I was thinking just the opposite. No, no. I was thinking it would be men. No, no. The the, the sisters I, I can say this, the sisters love my book. And oh, they okay. and they let Yeah. And and I and I wrote this book for them. I wrote the book for the sisters from a black man's perspective. Okay. Okay. And what are readers saying to you about, what are you hearing from readers when you're on the road, when they tell you they've read the book? What are you hearing from readers about Centurion Justice? What are they telling you about it so far? Well, what I'm hearing and what I hear on a regular basis is, uh, number one, you know, hey, look, you know, I appreciate you being real about this. You know, I thought when I first opened this book up that this was going to be, you know, just some kind of concocted, story about uh, some concocted love story that, you know, that we knew really wasn't real. You know, I lay this out to where you actually know that this is part of your own life. You know that you don't experience something in this book. Um, now, they appreciate the fact that I really take my time and put together a true mystery here. This is This is a thriller, and you're not going to just read a chapter or two or five before you can figure out what's about to happen in this book. It's not going to be like that. You know, so for the real readers, they appreciate the fact that, you know, you got to read this book to really know, but there's a real payoff for you if you read the whole thing. So, Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and I try to make sure that each chapter has its own entertainment quality about it, that, that you're not just reading pages and chapters and, and you're just trying to be involved in the story and it's no real real payoff, no real action, no real sizzle. I want every page to have some real fire to it. So that's the way okay. I wrote it. Wow. And who who are some of the male writers you admired growing up? Wow, see now that's that's a uh, that, that that that's tough because I'm gonna tell you when I was growing up, I <laughs> My mother, as a matter of fact, is a school teacher and uh, was a school teacher. She's retired now, a principal. I grew up reading stuff like the Nancy Drew mysteries and stuff she'd have around the house like that. You know, I didn't, I didn't grow up reading, uh, you know, black 
authors and writers and stuff like that. You know, some of the things from my history classes in, in high school and what have you, where, um, you know, you you get a little introduction every now and then to a Frederick Douglass or somebody like that. But, you know, where I come from, you know, we weren't exposed to a lot of that. My mother being a school teacher, I did uh, my basic school work and I read their school assignments and so forth. So a lot of that never really stuck that much with me. So I couldn't tell you that much about that. Uh, what was very prominent in my life was just all of the uh, colorful people around me and in my family and so on and so forth. You know, and the stories that they would tell. My mother's a great storyteller. My uncles and my cousins and, and, and just the brothers from around the way. I mean, they can tell a story like nobody's business. So okay. Those are the things that really influence me. Who are some of the right male writers you admire now? Um, myself and uh, my friend, <laughs> my friends John Figaro and I, I, I read I read a lot of just uh, I, I got buddies and stuff that are writers now and and I and I read their work you know uh, John mm-hmm. so I, I that they're, they're people that the average person wouldn't know because they're not um, they're not well known writers or or well published writers. But um, but uh, I, I keep up with the, the stories that they write. I have friends that bring stories to me, and they say, hey, you know, you got a book published. Hey, check this and read this for me. You know? Okay. So, you know, I do a lot of that sort of reading right now. Um, and, uh, and and let me just say this on, on, in that regard, that for the, for the listeners, you know, check out the, the, the local writers and uh, publishers in your community and in your area, you know, find out who they are. There's a lot of brothers and sisters out there mm-hmm. that are part of this literary world, you know, that are not going to be able to put together thousands of dollars for marketing and so forth, but they got some really they got some really good stuff out there for you to read and that you'll find some real interest and entertainment in, you know, right there in your own communities, right there yep. in, in, our own, in our own communities, in our own circles, you know, and they they need not just the, uh, the people to show interest, but they need the support, you know. Yes. And it, and I find it to be as good as anything, any as good as anything that you're gonna find, you know, for thirty dollars uh, on the front shelf in the bookstore when you walk in there that that, that people don't put a million dollars marketing into. No, and I agree, and I think even in music and and all, you know, you you hear the same artist over and over the same writers get to get to get their books in the window at the bookstore in the center aisle and there's so much i mean talent i just don't think the good lord said i'm only going to give talent to those who can make the best seller list it's so many people who are talented from very young up and if we don't open up and start reading stories by people who may be lesser known which everybody who goes on to be to big, big started out small. Most people, you miss a lot of talent and a lot of great art and a lot of great stories, a lot of great music. You would miss so so much if all you do is wait till somebody arrives to start um, enjoying their work. That said, that kind of segues into my next question: Has the process of book publishing and marketing? You know, we know you either have to have an army behind you or a lot of money, and then you can make a huge splash. But even then, that doesn't guarantee that, you know, your book's going to sell. You have to write a good book, too. But has the process of book publishing and marketing, has it been what you thought it would be when you first sat down to start writing? You know, as a writer, we tend to have these huge dreams, and maybe all artists do, that our work is just going to take off. And then the reality sort of sets in. But has the process of book publishing and marketing, has it met with your initial expectations of what you thought it would turn out to be like? Well, um, no, no, because you, you hit it dead on the head. You know, you have, uh, you know, that, that dream in the back of your mind that, you know, you're going to write a great story. And mm-hmm. Somebody's going to read it, and then, and, then, and then boom, and then all of a sudden you're gone. Well, no, the business doesn't work that way. So what I've found is that as I've gotten out and started to distribute the book myself and sell the book. What I found was first the real payoff comes with people reading your book and then giving you a solid review. 
if you mm-hmm. can get a if you can get a solid review from from a lot of different people and uh, different places that they read it and they say, hey, you know, this is it. Okay, that's the first thing. You know, it's not not so much you know in, in the monetary value, you know, because I learned from the business now that this is a process and this is not this is not mm-hmm. you. A, a movie, and then and then the movie runs for for four to six weeks, and then you collect uh, thirty million dollars. No, no, you know this is a uh, this is a thing. that can that can happen though. But yeah, go ahead. Certainly, it can happen. You know, but yeah. it, it just doesn't happen that way with the, the with the, probably anybody that I've talked to so far. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but you know you have to you, you have to love doing what you do. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that that's what I find. You know, it's a it's a learning process. You learn how to market, you learn how to sell. Well first, you know, you gotta you gotta learn that you that you that you got a good product first. But you gotta mm-hmm. have confidence to be getting out and traveling and going different yes. places trying to sell a book. And and if you haven't gotten some real solid reviews on your work you know, it's going to be hard to do. So what I do find is I find people that have, you know, spent a good bit of time writing a book, and because of that, and then them not being very sure of it, you know, they spend all of their time just basically working on the next book. They kind of put the book aside, you know, but, um, you know, you gotta you got to have some real confidence in your product. Yes, yes. you got to love what yes. Uh, yeah, whatever. loving what you do, and that might be the, one of the biggest payoffs, just loving writing, connecting with other readers. They love your work, and, and, and you're right. To to really market, you've got to believe you've got a good story, and it, it's hard to market when you don't really believe you have a good story. Uh, are you working on any new material as we come down to the last eight minutes of today's show? Are you working on new, any new material, Ronald? And if so, can you give us a glimpse into what you're working on? Okay, well, right now I'm... Uh... I'm in the process of finishing up the second book in the series. I expect mm-hmm. to have it um, published here uh, the end of uh, April, beginning of May. Wow! Uh, it's a continuation of this, year? Of this story. Although now in this in this in this book, it's going to take a hard political edge, along with a uh, subplot that involves. Uh, uh, I'll say this much about it. Black men start to disappear from the street, along oh. with a, a hard political edge. Uh, we got the political season coming up. We're well, we're right in the middle of the political season, but um, you know, I'm one of those um, I'm one of those political junkies too, you know. But um, and then and then I have to just tell everybody, you know, I I really support that brother Barack. I uh, I, I see him as a superhero. superhero Okay. Uh, and uh, so this book goes hard politically, and I I, uh, I I I mention some names and I say some things that my mama probably don't want me to say. Uh, <laughs> I, I I come real hard in this book from a political angle, and um, and some things dealing with black men. So uh, yeah, that book is going to be out here at the end of the April, beginning of May. Wow, man, you really are moving it along. What what did you learn about yourself while writing Centurion Justice that you didn't know about yourself before you started writing, before you finished the book? Well, let's see. Um, I, uh, <laughs> early on, you know, back in uh, in my twenties, you know, when I was, um, you know, when I was young and younger and hanging out and dating and. And 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 a, a, a young lady or a girlfriend or whatever might say, you know, hey, you know, that, that's a lie. You really can't lie, can't you? I really <laughs> learned over time in my writing. Hey, I, I can tell a pretty good lie. So, uh, you know, I, I can be fictional. So, you know, I've I've learned that. Look, you know what? Uh, it's not a lie. It's just a story. And then that story, that story might be a book. So. Yeah, okay, wait a minute. I might be pretty good at this thing. And now as I continue on now, I'm learning the process of uh, of, of where stories come from. You know, they come from things that are already down inside of us. They come from, yes. the, they come from the lives that we already live. You know, it's, 
you know, I believe every person has novels down inside of them if they mm. want. Mm. And where where can where can our listeners, can you tell our off the shelf listeners online and offline, where can they get copies of your books? Uh well, online of course, uh, amazon.com, uh, you know, all of the uh, major sites, you know, carry the book, Amazon and you know, whoever's up at this point, uh, you know, you got eCampus, you got Amazon, uh, let's see, Barnes and Noble. Uh, locally in the Jacksonville area, the uh, Chamlin Chamlin bookstores carry the book. Okay. That's C H A M B E L I N. Okay. Uh, so. You know, and I and and look, look, I'm one of those people that uh, that I look for you to support as well. You know, uh, fa- we're we're on Facebook as well, but uh, but I am one of those people that uh, when I'm talking about support the brothers and sisters, uh, support me also. Yes, absolutely. And be ready for the second. Yep. You mentioned Facebook. You said you're on Facebook. Are there any other social networks that you're on? If so, can you tell our listeners about some of them? That's uh, social network, so if they wanted to follow you, they could do so. Right. Uh, well, besides Facebook, uh, they can uh, they can follow on Twitter as well. Centurion. Okay. Yeah. So you're on Twitter, Twitter and Facebook. Besides social networks, we've got about three more minutes. Besides social networks, what other steps have you found to be effective at getting the word out about Centurion Justice? Well, that's when. Uh, you know that's where where me and uh, my, my my partner uh, uh, Vance Johnson that that's where you know we get out we get we do that legwork uh, book signing and uh, and 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 particularly just going out and doing those uh, doing those that cold selling you know where you might just be out uh, in a mall or or you in a city you know like uh, like the rappers sell their CDs out the trunk of their car, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you got to do your thing, you know. It's And that is so true. And then, again, the confidence in your story will help you to do it, do that all the more. Um, what advice would you give to any new authors who are trying to publish their first book? You've already done it. What would you say to an author who's where you were maybe a couple of years ago? Well, you know, I mentioned to you, you know, first of all, you know, be disciplined in your work. You know, set aside that hour, two hours a day to write or more, whatever you feel, or or less if, if that's all you got. Um, but be disciplined about it and, and write even when you don't feel that you have anything to write. Sit down with, mm. yeah, I say pencil and pad or pen and pad or whatever, because I like to write on a pad and then go back and, and print that down, but... You know, however you prefer to write. First of all, just be disciplined, and then and then you don't have a story until you can put the end. You know, don't spend all your time walking around telling people you're writing a book. You know, write the book and then tell people you wrote the book. Ah. Then 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 the major thing is then get some good editing. You know, to be able yes. to move the book to market. Yes. Oh, great advice, great advice. And then the editing, even if you have to spend a little bit of money, right. it's worth it. I always say you're going to get feedback on your book. So don't not work with an editor because you don't want the feedback because you're going to get the feedback from readers and book reviewers. You're going to get feedback. Not working with an editor is not going to keep you from not getting feedback. So I would work with an editor, and, and you can kind of soften the blow. Some of the feedback that you get if you work with a good editor. We have come to the end of today's show. Oh, my goodness, I have so enjoyed talking uh, today with you, Ronald, and and for our off-the-shelf listeners. Thank you for tuning in. We have just just been an hour with Ronald White, who is the author of Centurion Justice. He's online at centurionjustice.net, and that's C-E-N-T-U-R-I-O-N. J-U-S-T-I-C-E.net. I'm sure if you just Google him, Ronald White, right, author of Centurion Justice, you could find other places where he's online. He's also on Facebook and on Twitter. You can follow him on Twitter, and you can 
befriend him or like his page on Facebook. Thank you so much, Ronald. Appreciate that that advice. Like you said, be disciplined, and that's not just in writing, but anything that you want to do in life, you're going to have to be consistent and disciplined and confident. So write a great book and have it edited so that you'll have the confidence as you approach people when you're marketing the book. It'll really, really go a long way uh, if you're confident about your work because people can pick that up in your energy, and then then you might can increase the numbers, well, I would say you would increase the number of sales that you would have. Thank you, everybody, for being here with us this Saturday, another Saturday here on Off the Shelf, where we always start, kick off at 11 o'clock in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. Please come back next Saturday at 11. Just mark it on your calendar. Make it a note to come back every Saturday at 11 o'clock and tell your family and your friends. We have just had... Some awesome news, season startup, best-selling authors, editors, publishers, you name it here on Off the Shelf. So you want to tune in and you can get so much advice, whether you're looking to, 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 to start a business, move forward in your life, or you're looking to launch your own writing career. You're just a reader. You absolutely love to read, and you want to find out more information about talented, talented authors. This is the place to be, Off the Shelf, 11 o'clock in the morning, Eastern Standard Time on Saturdays. So as I always tell you, remember you are so incredibly loved and so truly, truly valued. Go out and create a marvelous, marvelous day for yourself. Ronald, thank you so much for being here with us, connecting and sharing with us, and I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now.